you or someone you love have scoliosis? Are you wondering what's next? What is life going to be like from now on? Or is this even a big deal? Hi, my name is Dave Butler, and welcome to the Scoliosis Experience. We are here to talk with real people, both patients, parents, and providers, to bring hope and clarity to the road ahead. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. Hi, this is Dave Butler with the Scoliosis Experience Podcast. We're here with Dr. Scott Mumford, a pediatrician. We wanted to talk to him about how he treats scoliosis and what things we can learn from that and what things we can expect. So welcome, Scott. We're glad you're here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, so a little bit of background on Dr. Mumford and how I met him. He's a crazy runner. I think he's okay with me telling people that. And with running comes aches and pains and, and some things that need to be treated in physical therapy. So I actually met him in physical therapy with treating a, a nasty IT band problem as he was trying to ramp up his running. So that's how we got introduced. I found out he was a pediatrician. And from there, we had a couple of meetings with the pediatric group that he was a part of. And we went over scoliosis-specific exercise and the way that I treat scoliosis. And it's been nice working with him with uh, kids that have scoliosis. So I thought he'd be a good one to interview as a pediatrician, getting an idea of how pediatricians treat scoliosis and their view on, on that. So I'll give him some time to, to give us his background. Okay, well, great. My background, um, you know, I, I'm a graduate of BYU. I grew up in the state of Washington. And after studying human biology at BYU, graduated in 1997, headed over to the University of Utah, got my medical degree there. And while in medical school, I decided uh, to be an anesthesiologist. And uh, after nearly the end of my third year of medical school, I found that that was not a great fit for me. I liked being... Uh, more heavily involved with um, direct patient care um, in the clinic and uh, discovered that I really enjoyed pediatrics after rotating at Primary Children's Medical Center. Um, from there, I headed off to California where I completed a pediatric residency at Stanford and um, during that time had um, become acquainted with Utah Valley Pediatrics and some of the physicians there um, and uh, was able to um, through those uh, relationships and friendships, um, land a job with Utah Valley Pediatrics um, in American Fork is, is where my office is now. And I've been practicing general pediatrics there for 15 years now. And uh, I love every aspect of uh, being a pediatrician. It's a great job. Well, you're a great pediatrician. The, <laughs> the, the patients that I see from, from Scott love him. Like they, they'll travel from all over Utah Valley to see him. So uh, that's saying something. So that's awesome. You're too kind. <laughs> um, so one thing that I was curious about in, in medical school, what, what exposure do you get to scoliosis? Like what's, what's the training and how to treat it? Um, how in depth do they go? Obviously you were at primaries, uh, the children's hospital. So yeah, maybe you got a little bit more, but kind of give us an idea of that. Okay. Well, I mean, Obviously, I was first introduced to uh, scoliosis in medical school, and I think, you know, the first two years, medical school is four years long, and the first two years are really just a lot of book learning, 
um, and you don't really learn much uh, about human disease and various conditions until you actually get out into the clinics and into the hospitals. Um, I did an orthopedic rotation, a pediatric orthopedic rotation at Primary Children's Medical Center, and we saw a lot of scoliosis. So I saw everything from spine surgeries to braces being fitted to patients um, to kids who needed neither of those and just close observation and serial x-rays to follow the curvatures of their spines and things. But I think really that's where I started being introduced to, to the condition. And then, of course, as a pediatrician um, and in residency, you, you do similar types of rotations and enhance your knowledge more. And then now as a general pediatrician, it's a part of every examination that I do that's a routine physical checkup from the age of three on, basically. So it sounds like it at primaries, you had a little bit more exposure to it. Is that consistent with other pediatricians, or would you say that's not you know, I wouldn't as consistent? I wouldn't really be able to answer for them. I, I think anytime we rotated through orthopedics in medical school or in residency, all three, three years of my residency in California, um, there was a lot of exposure to scoliosis. It's a common condition relative mm. to the things orthopedic surgeons and especially pediatric orthopedic surgeons see. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I, we, we, see, we saw a lot of it in our training, but probably not enough. I mean, there's a lot to know. There's a lot to know, and, and you have to cover a lot of different diagnoses. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a challenge. Right. So uh, obviously we're talking about scoliosis, and the podcast is titled The Scoliosis Experience, but obviously you probably see other spinal deformities, uh, maybe some Schurman's kyphosis type things yeah. or, or other spinal deformities. So you probably had exposure to that. So I don't think a lot of the screenings that we're going to talk about are just exclusive to scoliosis. So the audience can keep in mind that other spinal deformities are also something that you look at. So uh, let, let's move into, say, so you're in an exam with a patient. Okay. And how how do you pick up on scoliosis? For those listening, you know, I'm sure they've been to pediatric visits or, you know, normal physician visits. What part of that exam and how do you pick up on that? Um there's, there's two main things that I do um, during my exams. Uh, I have the patient stand in front of me, and I look for um, uh, an uneven sh- uh, shoulder uh, height. Um, if the shoulders aren't level, that tells me there's, there's a problem. It could range from the, the spine to leg length discrepancy to a hip dysplasia to a number of different things along the, uh, you know, along the skeletal system. But if the shoulders are level, that, that rules out a few things right off the bat in terms of leg length discrepancy, typically things of that nature. Um, but then I do an Adams test, which I think almost all pediatricians or physicians do that take care of children. It's just a forward bend test, similar to what you have in elementary school. Um, the school nurse can do that as well. Um, any, anyone trained you know, to screen for scoliosis can do that test. So it's a simple screening test. Um, I used to make the mistake early on in my practice of having patients I would tell them to bend forward, keep their legs straight, and touch their toes. And most people, <laughs> including myself, cannot do that. So And, and myself. And so yes. we would see all kinds of twists and turns, and I have to remind myself, you know, at the time, you know, oh, well. So, so now the way I phrase it is I, I ask them to keep their legs straight, bend forward like they're diving in a pool, and touch below their knees and go as far as they can uh, without bending their legs or being uncomfortable, basically. Um, that usually gets most people just below the knees or just above the feet. 
Um, after I do that, I, I have them hold that position briefly and, uh, and then look for any kind of uh, humps, as I call them, or, or any other uh, you know, asymmetries to the back. You, you see curve on one side, not on the other. You see ribs sticking high on one side, low on the other, those kinds of things. Um, I have them stand back up, and then I actually have them walk from me, usually to the end of the exam room and back. So I look for any kind of um, leg length discrepancies, possibly limping of any kind, um, bow legs, knock knees, all the other things that you screen for, but it's all kind of tied into the skeletal system, scoliosis. So it's really important, at least for me in my exams, to have patients do a forward bending test, an Adams test, and then uh, a short walk, or if they have long legs or it's a bigger patient, I have them actually walk up and down the hall. And it's amazing to me how quickly we can screen for scoliosis, and, and when I hear that that's not being done, it's like, that's a, that's a pretty easy screen that should be happening, especially those wellness checks. Probably takes no more than 30 seconds. Right, right. <laughs> it's not very long. But it's a condition you don't want to miss because you have an opportunity, you have a window of opportunity to you know, maybe keep something at bay or even fix something that can progressively worsen. Just like a tree growing crooked, you know, it needs to be straightened as it grows. So you're telling me how early you start screening for scoliosis. How old? Um, I found that around age three is the age when a child can follow the directions to do a forward bending test. It doesn't always go well. Sometimes they, right. some, typically the younger kids, I ask them to bend forward and they, they generally can do that. And then I ask them to stand back up and then walk to the other room and come back. And a lot of times they don't hear the part about standing back up. So <laughs> they still bending forward, touching their toes. They they shuffle forward and, and, and you know, bash their top of their head into the door or something. <laughs> and then you get to and, practice uh, your sutures. Yeah, and then, yeah, we, you know, we throw the great. sutures in and, it's, <laughs> you know, it's all under one roof and we do it all that day. <laughs> right. No, but it's, uh, I actually have one funny story. You have to be careful the way you word it with patients. I have a brother-in-law who told me a story actually along these lines when he went in to see his doctor. He was actually going to go on an LDS mission and he... Um, he was in a gown because he was having a thorough exam and he, the doctor was seated in a stool behind him and he asked him to do an Adams test, forward bending test. He looked at his spine, he was seated behind him. And then the words he used next were, okay, now go ahead and back up. And apparently my brother-in-law didn't understand the instructions correctly and he shuffled backward, um, you know, hitting the doctor in in the face, <laughs> in a, in a way that you wouldn't want to be hit in the face. <laughs> Apparently, the story goes: the doctor screamed, my brother-in-law <laughs> screamed, and uh, quickly stood back up and had a hard time making eye contact with the doctor after that. So, word choice and positioning is important for that test too, to avoid any kinds of uh, catastrophes. And and, and it also begs to the question: I mean, he was probably what eighteen, yeah, 17, something like 18? that, right? Um, so. I mean, obviously, when someone's done growing, we're probably not assessing uh, scoliosis as much. But who knows? Maybe maybe that uh, pediatrician was also thinking <laughs> maybe he shouldn't <laughs> well, maybe, do that for those maybe physicals. Maybe he thought he had know. some more growth. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But uh, that's a funny story. I've never had that experience. Thank, <laughs> thank goodness. It's one of my favorites. The backup story. <laughs> the backup. Don't tell him to back up. No. So stand uh, back up, stand back up. <laughs> so let, let's say, okay, someone's diagnosed with scoliosis. What, what then, what, what do you do with them? What, what's kind of your thought process where to send them or what to do? Well, I never did learn x-ray vision, um, during any of my training. So 
Me neither. Yep. So essentially, if I see um, if I see a uh, evidence of scoliosis, um, you know, with asymmetries as noted, um, I generally send them for a scoliosis survey, an X-ray uh, that's done to assess any curvature of the spine, and then uh, how uh, what I do after that with the patient is dependent upon that that information. Okay. So. You get the x-ray, um, you're seeing the Cobb angle, you're assessing what degree that is. What, what do you do? Like say, what degree is your cutoff for sending them to right. orthopedics and things like that? So there's a couple other factors that goes into the decisions um, of where to send them, when to send them. And those those decisions are based uh, largely upon the, the, the child's skeletal maturity. Um, there's there's something called the Ricer scale from zero to five, and it's a you actually get those views when you get a scoliosis survey, and it tells you how skeletally mature the individual is. So, for example, a Ricer five means that the child's growth plates are essentially closed. There's very little linear growth expected to occur, versus a Ricer zero uh, or a one where there's essentially wide open growth plates, and you can expect you know, a lot of linear growth, and then, of course, everything's in the middle. So that's just a grading scale of the openness of the growth plates. Um, so that definitely factors into my decision. So, for right. example, if I get an 8-degree scoliosis in a riser 5 or 4 patient, I probably will do nothing. Um, let's say it was a, a riser 4 and it's, you know, 15 degrees. I might, I might say, well, that's enough of a curvature. I might refer that on, or I might get a repeat x-ray in 6 months, something like that. But if I get eight degrees in a riser zero or a riser one patient who's, you know, nine years old, I'm going to take that pretty seriously knowing that child probably has another foot of growth, give or take. And a long time to grow. And there's a lot that could potentially happen because I think my understanding, and you can correct me if you think differently or no differently, is most of the scoliosis problems occur just in that period of the, uh, just before puberty, around the time of puberty when the most linear growth is occurring quickly. Right. You may not see it in an eight-year-old who had, you know, pretty straight spine, but, you know, if you didn't see them for three years, they may come back at age 11 with, a, you know, a, a large degree of scoliosis. And actually, it's happened to one of my patients. I can tell you, I actually did see it was a young lady around the age of eight for a physical, did, did you know, my typical um, Adams test, scoliosis, gait, everything looked great. She did come back to see me at age 12, four years later, for a junior high checkup, which a lot of times, you know, we, we recommend seeing kids every year to, to screen for these and other kinds of things. She had a 35 degree scoliosis and, um, increase. yeah, it was quite, quite an increase. And, um, of course at that point in time, you know, I, I, I noticed, you know, significant scoliosis on the forward vent test that got an x-ray, got 35 degrees, sent her to an orthopedic surgeon. Um, fortunately she wasn't a surgical candidate. Um, her riser scale was around four. She had a little more growth, but she'd matured very quickly um, between about age 10 and 12, I'm assuming. So, but again, we probably would have noticed maybe a, some kind of curvature at age nine, perhaps could have possibly got her into therapy and possibly even a brace, kept that curvature maybe in the teens or even the twenties, which would be a lot better for her future in the terms of, you know, 35. Um, so a lot of different scenarios, but I think it's important to get screened if by none else than maybe a school nurse or your pediatrician every year for scoliosis. I totally agree. And, and I've seen the same thing. It used to be that curves around 10, 11, 12 degrees, I, I didn't really treat 
across the board, but I've since changed that a bit where if, if that curve, well, if that child is young and has a lot of growth left, I mean, there's a scoliosis there. And with the rapid growth, uh, that rapid growth is when we see the most progression. So might as well watch that and, uh, and do something if you can. Right. So to get back to your, to, your, to your question, maybe I didn't answer it, just gave you some background. If I have a child who has what I consider to be significant growth potential based on their riser score and just based on how skeletally mature they seem to be, I'll often actually, I said there were two or three points there. Another thing I will ask is the mother or father that are with me, when, when did they go through puberty? When did they hit their growth spurt? If mom tells me, oh, you know, dad, he grew up until age 20, you know, he was five three his sophomore year in high school and you know five seven at graduation at age 20 he was you know six foot that's one of those scenarios where i say okay this young man who doesn't look very skeletally mature or maybe looks skeletally mature he he's 14 years old and he's got a curve of you know uh let's say 12 you know if his dad went through puberty at 14 and mom was done with puberty at 12 and his riser score is four i may do nothing but if his dad grew into his 20s mom First started having her periods at age 14 and his riser score is two i may send that right to the orthopedic surgeon so right. there, there's a lot of variables that go into it but typically a number that kind of sticks in my mind is if there's growth potential there and you have a 20 degree curvature that's generally when i refer him to an orthopedic surgeon to be evaluated and then in the last few years since meeting dave and learning more about scoliosis there's actually a bridge between when i would send him to an orthopedic surgeon more severe cases and um, and those that have curvature and lots of growth, but not much curvature, um, and I'll send them to a physical therapist to work on sort of some newer techniques that are shown to possibly slow down the progress or keep it at bay. Um, and this is a newer facet of scoliosis that I've learned about in the last maybe five to 10 years. Well, and I think it's really cool in this area, we haven't had that option until recently. And it's nice to be able to do something rather than just waiting. Right. And waiting is, uh, I don't think it's necessary. Just so, just so you know, Dave, when, when I was in training um, uh, and even in residency, and probably the first five years of my practice, the, the, the teaching that I received and the knowledge and understanding that I had was if a child has scoliosis, you just repeat x-rays till it's bad enough to send it to the orthopedic surgeon or doesn't get bad enough and the child's done growing and you're done with it. There was no in-between. Right. And there was typically, even if you Google this today, a lot of times if you read about idiopathic scoliosis, which is the most common type, which kids, we don't, idiopathic really means we don't know why this occurred versus like a neuromuscular disease or, or some a vertebral anomaly, which that'd be considered congenital scoliosis, where you're born with some kind of abnormality. It's, it's a problem from, the, from, from birth. But, but anyway, in, in idiopathic scoliosis, the teaching was you screen for it. You get an x-ray for it. If it's, you know, 20 degrees or more and there's growth, send them to an orthopedic surgeon or some number like that. If they're, if it's a small number, um, but it's significant enough to, they have more growth, you know, get an x-ray and follow it. But there's no in-between. There's nothing else. You just right. tell them to go home and I'll see you in six months for a repeat x-ray. That's the end of it. And that's where things have changed a little bit for me. Well, and I think in the U.S. it's starting to change. It's changing slowly, but... And I think before, the reason for that was general physical therapy in the current research hasn't been shown to change the curve at all. Like, it hasn't been shown to stop progression or reduce the curve. But when we look at the research for scoliosis-specific exercise, that does have research to back 
stopping progression and, and even a small regression in the curve. So I think our knowledge base in the U.S. is becoming better. And and hopefully we, we see more of those in between treatments. So um, cool. Well, well, thanks for giving us that overview of how, how it's treated from a, a pediatric uh, physician perspective. Um, so I wanted to just ask if there's any any advice that you would give for parents uh, when, when a, a patient's diagnosed with scoliosis, and then along with that, any advice for the kids that are diagnosed with scoliosis? I, I find that there's much different questions from the parents and from the kids. Normally, the kids don't have a ton of questions, right? But and parents have a ton of questions. So, but any advice uh, once that diagnosis is given? Any advice that you have for them? Yeah, and, and maybe just to back up a little bit before the diagnosis is given, if the child, I would highly recommend that, that a, and, I, and I stated this earlier in the podcast, that, that it's important that, that a child be screened for scoliosis at least every year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most insurance plans will pay for a yearly checkup. Um, so with no deductible or out-of-pocket, uh, uh, most insurance plans will allow you to see your physician. It's a good time to discuss anything, um, mental health other things may come up that, that would that would be unexpected or may catch you off guard. Scoliosis is no exception to that rule. You may see this spine, you know, you may have not, you know, seen your child for, you know, six months, let alone sat down, had dinner with them. You know, our schedules are crazy <laughs> and it may catch you off guard. Oh, my goodness. You know, this my child has this curvature to their spine. And so get screened at least every year. Number one. Number two, if you get that diagnosis, um, Generally, follow you know your doctor's instructions if everything sounds right to you. Obviously, you always have to make the decisions that are best for you and your family and your child. But if your doctor uh, and provider does um, uh, detect some some form of scoliosis and recommends an X-ray, I'd highly recommend getting that done, following through. And then if it does indicate that there is some level of scoliosis, you know, you know, counsel with your provider that you trust, and um, you know, get the necessary. Uh, help or treatment or follow-up that you need. Sometimes that's just a follow-up x-ray. Sometimes that's referral to an orthopedic surgeon. And in some cases, as Dave just explained, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a slow-moving uh, trend, um, uh, a referral to uh, a physical therapist trained in um, scoliosis and strengthening and, and lifestyle changes that can maybe help the child um, keep it a little bit at bay. Um, and, um, you know, Dave has more experience with that, so we can talk on that. But that has become a routine part of my practice. So my advice is get it checked and then follow competent medical advice after that. To the child, all I could really say is, you know, like all things, do what your parents tell you to do. <laughs> <laughs> Which they'll do, right? Every, <laughs> depends on the age. There's no, there's no x-ray for that. <laughs> no, there's not. No, there's just life experiences. But, um, yeah, it, and you know, interestingly enough, I found that almost all cases of scoliosis that I diagnose, and there's lots because I see a lot of kids, um, come without back pain. Yeah. A yeah. child rarely comes in um, for back pain that is caused by scoliosis. If I diagnose scoliosis, it's generally as an oh, by the way kind of thing, like, you know, Jenny's shoulder seems lower than the other, or just the routine physical for sports where, you know, we do our routine checkups and there it is. I've caught people off guard by mentioning the scoliosis to them. Some are very relieved. Some are very happy to hear the news that that we caught it young and we might be able to keep it at bay. Yeah, I would say in my practice, and obviously I see back pain specifically in kids as well, but 
I would say only 15, maybe 15% of my scoliosis patients who are adolescents have back pain. And, and it doesn't always correlate with where their curve is. And so it's, it's a challenge. To... And another word on that, just to expand the conversation outside of scoliosis just a hair, is if you, you know, detect some uneven shoulders in your child or you do a forward bend test and you think it looks uneven and there may be 14 or 15, so you decide, oh, you know, you're probably done growing. Maybe we don't need to have this checked. My advice would be definitely have a checkup with your provider if you haven't in the last year because oftentimes this can be other things. Um, like, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you can have a congenital hip dysplasia that's been missed for years that could potentially need surgical intervention. You could have an issue with knock knees, bow legs, or leg length discrepancy, um, one leg longer than the other, where you can do simple procedures uh, like stopping the growth on one side versus the other of the growth plate in the femur to straighten the leg um, or um, uh, make the legs so they're even in length, just from speaking from my own experience. Can I just share a brief experience about that? Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. So, and I, and I think this would be possibly one of those cases where it could have been mistaken as scoliosis or something like that. But anyway, I, I see my, my son wears basketball shorts all the time, big puffy basketball shorts. He's 11 years old and he'd never had knee pain. And um, he um, started complaining about knee pain quite a bit. And, you know, we're like, oh, it's going to be growing pains. We never took it that seriously. One day um, after, shortly after that, we went to the mall and my son put on skinny jeans for the first time. <laughs> okay. He wanted to be stylish at the mall. Right. So I'm walking behind him and he's all knock kneed. And I said to my wife, does, does he always walk like that? Does he always look like that? I've only seen him in big basketball shorts that go below his knees. She goes, well, I don't, I don't really know. So, so we, you know, we got some x-rays, got him to an orthopedic surgeon. Turns out he had severe knock knees and he was growing very rapidly. And, um, he had probably, you know, a couple more years of growth was all with, with at the rate he was going. Long story short, um, turns out he had one leg about an inch longer than the other. And he had, um, knock knees. So after a series of simple surgeries, um, we were able to straighten both legs so that he no longer had knock knees, knee pain went away, and then actually stopped the growth on the longer side for about six months so the other side could catch up. So now he's 14 years old. He's six foot two. At the time of that, wow. he was probably about, you know, five nine, five ten. He was very tall, young. So we didn't we only had three or four inches to work with in about one to two years to work with. Had I not had that opportunity then um, to notice that, you know, we may have, would have missed a chance and he would have some significant, you know, knee or even back problems from that. So, you know, yeah. these kind of musculoskeletal problems, scoliosis included, are important to detect while you have growth potential. Right. If, if he would have been screened at 18, 19 and that was found, I mean, it's too late to, right. too late to correct for that. Yeah. So uh, that's a really good point. And now that, so I have a 15 year old now. Okay. And when... When I started practicing with scoliosis specifically, she was she was nine at the time, and I would have people come in that had missed, you know, their their child's scoliosis curve had been missed, okay, and they they were at thirty five degrees, forty right. degrees, something okay. like that, and and part of me was like, man, don't you don't you look at your kid's back ever? <laughs> but now that I have a fifteen year old. I, I don't know. I really don't know that I'd pick up on it. I mean, how often do you see their back without them, you know, sitting in a chair or doing something else? So it's, I think it's really important to have that wellness check specific time every year. Boom, get it checked because I mean, teenagers are kind of reclusive. They, they kind of keep to themselves. So, right. um, so yeah, that was eye opening for me. 
Um, so one last question. A lot of the scoliosis patients that I have, um, they, and teenagers in general right now, have a lot of anxiety, some depression, and, and some some issues along those lines. Uh, with scoliosis, I find that sometimes it, it manifests a little bit more. Uh, either the scoliosis makes them a little anxious or, you know, something plays into that. And, and I try to get them to not worry too much about this diagnosis. But have you ever had that where, you know, you, you tell a parent their child has scoliosis and either the parent gets really worried or the child seems like they're having a lot of anxiety or anything like that? Absolutely. I've had cases um, like that. I have a patient with it right now who, a young lady who um, had scoliosis uh, diagnosed. She came in for yearly checkups every year and we started following her pretty closely um, I think she's maybe around 14 now, maybe around 10 we maybe picked it up, 9 or 10. Huh. Followed it closely with x-rays, and then it reached a point where it was above 20 degrees. Um, and we sent her to an orthopedic surgeon who actually uh, thought that she had quite a bit of growth potential and wanted to put her in a brace, which he did. And because of that, she didn't want to go to school. Right. She wanted to homeschool. She, you know, it's this big brace. It's this uh, thing she doesn't want to wear. She's, she, um you know, cared about appearances and so forth. And also it brought attention to the scoliosis. She she felt like all of a sudden that she noticed it more with or without the brace and became very self-conscious about that. So it did, it did have a play on her mental health. I think it's like most things, you have to either, you know, ignore things or face things, but oftentimes there's consequences for ignoring. <laughs> the yeah. problem of scoliosis does not go away. Right. Um, and... Um, so in her case, she was she was good about that, and uh, I think she even um, benefited from a few therapy sessions mm-hmm. to help her understand her condition better, not only from a physical but from a mental health standpoint. I do have other patients who are self-conscious about their appearance. They won't take their right. shirt off at the swimming pool, that kind of thing. They're they're conscious about the way they look. So it's it's a it's a significant condition, not only from a physical standpoint, future pain, future function, but uh, cosmetically. Uh, for the teenage patient is very tied into their mental health. And it comes at the worst time of life to have, <laughs> to have body image Let's issues, throw some right? zits in there and some, <laughs> some, you know, some hormones and boy. Right. Let's just make that just really fun for them. So, yeah. so in my practice, I try to not downplay the scoliosis, but I definitely don't want it to rule their lives. I don't want them to to feel like this, if it's a small curve especially, this isn't something that should rule your life. We need to address it, but it's not something that defines you or anything like that. But it's it's a challenge sometimes, that emotional side of scoliosis. Right. So yeah, there is a there is a part of a part of it that is emotional and, and, and related right. mental health. So all right. Um I don't know, Scott, anything you'd like to add? Or can if someone wants to see you as as a pediatrician how do they get in touch with you like what uh anything like that well utah valley pediatrics is a large practice we have i think we're up to 10 offices now we're all in utah county so the best way to get in touch with any of the physicians at utah valley pediatrics is just to go to our website um um, uv www.uvpediatrics.com and uh all the offices and locations and physicians are listed there with their uh, background information. And uh, also a lot of tips and tricks 
for families, health advice, and that kind of thing is on our website. That's free to the public. So I think that'd be the best approach for anyone seeking, uh, you know, if, if they are in need of a doctor or physician, um, you know, we have, um, you know, several offices all throughout Utah County. Awesome. And just so the listeners know, Scott is one of my favorite pediatricians. So, you know, <laughs> just, just a plug there for him, although he's pretty busy, so I don't know. Um, but we, I really appreciate you hanging out with me today, Scott, and talking about scoliosis. I think it was eye-opening. Hopefully it's eye-opening to our listeners about how, as they go to a pediatrician, uh, how scoliosis is viewed and the takeaway of making sure you're doing annual wellness checks. So right. I appreciate that. Thanks for, for being on our podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, Dave.